Why we're on Titus chapter 2 and we're looking at the verses 11 to 14 and it's been headed on our uh, study guide as doctrinal motivations doctrinal motivations just quickly recapping on the, this chapter 2 of course we've been looking at the instruction that Paul gave to Titus about teaching teaching old men and old women and young men and young women and teaching slaves how they should behave and so the last two verses that were dealt with um, two weeks ago now uh, we're looking at the subject really of obedience and subjection. What I want to be focusing on now in just the next few verses is what is it that motivates us. So just for the sake of connection, let's just read from verse 9. So it's Titus chapter 2. We'll read from verse 9 through to 14. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, not showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour in all things. And then we come to the motivation bit. What is it? How do we do that? For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. It's only a few verses, but it's packed. <laughs> it's like a lot of verses in Scripture, I suppose. Sometimes, you know, you read it and you have to read it again and again because it's packed with things that are important, that we need to take in, that we need to understand. It's a trustworthy <coughs> example of God's will for us in our lives. I think many of us, and I'm one who was brought up in a Christian family, and in some ways, I think I've mentioned this before, it can be a disadvantage because you don't know any different. You're brought up in a way that uh, your parents take you to certain events, to meetings, uh, to worship meetings, to prayer meetings, to Bible classes, and you, you get used to it. It was part of your life. And uh, sometimes we have to stop and think, why am I doing this? Of course, that does come when you get older, when you, have, you break away from the family ties and you start making your own decisions in life. And so under this banner here, I think, what Paul is directing Titus to be teaching and to be considering and asking others to consider is what motivates you? What gets you up in the morning? What gets you out of bed? What is it that gets you to come to meet with the people of God? What is it 
And I think this is these few verses are packed with the Paul directing us into how our minds should be, how we should be motivated, and how we should desire these things. God doesn't want us to be doing things out of just pure duty. There is a a place for it. There's times when we might feel low and we come out out of duty and then we find that by gathering together in fellowship with other Christians, with other people in the churches of God, we get an uplift. And God uses that to help us. So I'm, I'm not dismissing that. I'm just really thinking that we've got to be conditioned, I think, to continually asking ourselves the question, why do I do this? What is my motivation? It starts really by, in this, in the verse, verse 11, that for the grace of God that brings salvation. It goes right away back, it, 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 there's nothing wrong in us continually questioning our salvation. There's nothing wrong in us considering what we have been saved from. That is something I think the Lord wants us to go back to time and time again, to, to see what could have happened if God's grace hadn't come to us. And it, can, it shakes me when I think about the fact that if the Lord Jesus Christ had not come, if I had not been called of God, where would I have been going? Where would I have ended up? Because that in itself is a motivation. And then I see the grace of God because I am nothing. I am not worthy of what I have been saved to. I am not worthy of my calling. I am not worthy of the heavenly calling. I'm not worthy of it. So I've done nothing and could do nothing in order to achieve a standard that God would say, okay, uh, that's acceptable because I was born in sin. I was born to die. I was born to go into death. And the only reason that's not going to happen is because of the grace of God. And that's something we need, I think I need to constantly think about and give God thanks for. The Lord said in the, uh, he wanted his disciples to remember him in the breaking of the bread. And then the disciples decided to do that on the first day of every week. And we followed that. We follow it as a commandment of the Lord Jesus, this do in remembrance of me. Uh, and we do it once a week because that's what the early Christians did. And they also did it steadfastly. And so therefore, why did that happen? Well, if we only met once a year, it would be so easy, would it not, for us to go for weeks and weeks and weeks and maybe not concentrate on the person of Christ as he wanted us to do and enjoy and for that motivation to be given to us in seeing the grace of God and something like the remembrance and something like the coming together in prayer are not just duties that um, you have to do to keep God happy 
and he gets a bit upset if you don't do it. It's a case of us following him because we want to and we come and we enjoy it and we get up on a Sunday morning or we get up ready to go to a prayer meeting because we want to be there and it's not just uh, because God said we should be a good idea it's because we need it we need to be in his presence we need to understand him and the grace of God is out our words we can rhyme them off we could maybe find scriptures where it states that but do you and I fully understand and appreciate what that grace is in relation to our lives and how do we respond to that so considering the grace of God is not just something that I think we should just learn parrot fashion it's something that I wonder whether we benefit more from asking each other what is your experience about God's grace and not rhyming off what somebody else has said but what is your and my experience of the grace of God because how do I respond to it how is my life seen by others how does God see me responding to his grace and so it's something that's deep it's something that should result in motivating us to want him we've been thinking a little bit this morning about being in the presence of God and you know when you read in the Old Testament scriptures there was only there were little pockets of it um, you know where Moses went into the presence of God at the tent of meeting or where Aaron went into the presence of God in the most holy place once a year and there were little bits where uh, we read of the experience and the response that came from that but today in this day of grace which we refer to it since the Lord Jesus Christ was here we can enjoy this almost on a continuous basis certainly as individuals we are able to come before God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and collectively we are ad additionally able to come collectively before God and these are experiences that should be a joyful uh, exuberance in our lives something that we really want and not something that we ought to do I was brought up in an era when my parents were a bit stricter than they are now and you know if you you had to go to these meetings and you were expected to be there and if you didn't go you were uh, you were chastised for it in some way and you were frowned upon and unfortunately it can have a negative effect that you know you if you're a bit rebellious you then start that i don't i'm not doing this just because i'm told to when i'm old enough i'm not going to do it and of course unfortunately that's what happened with a lot of people they rebelled against <coughs> their upbringing but here paul is saying well, i want you to think and i want you to teach 
and I want you to share experiences of the grace of God. Because if you think about what you've been saved from and where you're going, and this is what Paul's packing in here. He says, consider God's grace that salvation came from God and it's through faith. That salvation is the word of life. And in the New Testament, we get the person of Christ coming on the scene. He is God and he's come from God and he is the salvation of the world. Well, what does that mean to us? How do you respond to that? He came, he died, he bore our sins on the cross at Calvary. You know all this. These are words. It's how do you respond to this? How do you feel about Jesus saving you? And salvation, again, is just a word that we can spout off. It's how do we feel about it? How do we respond to it? How do we act it? How do people see Christ in me? How do people know I have been saved? I have received salvation, that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Do people see that I'm alive? We've been praying about or thinking about Vera and the witness. She had a time in her life when she got saved and she changed. I believe the story was that she had met Bert around the uh, time of the Second World War and they had a relationship before he went off and I don't think they got married until after the war but anyway they he came back and he made a comment apparently it's reported to have been said that she was not the same woman that he came back to that he left she changed now he did marry her so, so he, he obviously never found that it's purely a negative thing but he noticed the difference he noticed the change that is something just an obvious practical thing that maybe people who have maybe lived a, a, a not necessarily an evil life but maybe an immoral life or maybe a worldly life and they meet christ and they, their life changes and it's very obvious people that are brought up in christian families don't tend to have that big change because uh, they're almost brought up in Christianity and whilst it's still important that you make the decision to follow Jesus, it's not such a big jump. But the way we live our lives, people I believe, and this is what Paul's teaching here, they need to see what it is that motivates us. You know, people have asked the question and they've done it to us, people, visitors that have come to this hall and they've got to know us, they've said things like, um, I'm amazed at your commitment. <laughs> I'm amazed how much uh, time you spend uh, doing this, that and the next thing. And uh, we have to be careful that we're not doing these things because we ought to, or we have to, we've advertised it, so therefore we ought to make sure we do it. That we're doing it because we have been called by the grace of God. We're doing it because we are motivated to be like Christ. And I want to follow him. I want to be like him. I want to grow. And so that 
when the time comes when I shall meet him the time comes when I will be one with him I'm part way there because of what happens at my salvation at my time of accepting Christ as my saviour that appearance that um, is referred to here is really how things changed when the Lord Jesus Christ came up until then you know Christ in the Old Testament was difficult for people to see there wasn't that appear to be that many Old Testament people that saw Christ and of course we lived in an age where we are so grateful that we're living in a day of grace we're living in a time after Christ has been has died and been raised again that we have the scriptures the living scriptures in front of us we have each other to support one another and to be able to see more clearly that Jesus was in fact the light of the world he shone in the darkness and that the darkness of the Old Testament where <laughs> uh, these things were hidden and these things were not evident are now revealed and so there is no excuse in verse 12 it goes on to talk about the teaching teaching us so the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men so all have the opportunity and it teaches teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts this is how we should live and again it's it's not to be viewed as laws this is what you must do so you tick the box uh, I'm not allowed to do this a lot of people look at Christians and say well they, you're people that you don't do this and you don't do that and you don't go there and you don't go over there either and you you must live a terribly boring life because you, all this world has got to offer and you don't get involved in it that's not what it's saying here at all it's saying that God is offering us something better he is offering us something that will lift us that we will enjoy and therefore we should be motivated to be doing the things that God wants us to do the godliness the righteousness these words that Satan keeps probing with boring don't do these things you can't do this you can't do that that's how I remember my my youth was at my friends they went to this and they went to that and I couldn't go <laughs> so my first impression of Christianity was I'm not so sure I fancy this much <laughs> and it's not of course and it's all about meeting Christ understanding him appreciating him it happened in the Lord's time it happened even the greatest teacher the world has ever seen he taught his disciples and there came a time when some of them went away and he looked on and he said to his own close disciples he said will you also go away because there's others that just decided it's not for me so when you look at these things and you, there are many we know today friends and family who no longer walk with God who no longer love the Lord Jesus or have any desire or motivation to follow him you've got to say why is that could that happen to me why is the motivation gone well it says teach 
teach because the importance of getting in the word if people don't come and listen to the preacher if people don't open the bible up and read what god is saying if people don't have a relationship with the lord jesus through the scriptures through prayer meditation then how are they going to be motivated and the things of the world will get come more to the fore and take over because the things of God have been pushed down to a couple of hours a week and the things of the world are taking up dozens and dozens of hours in the week and so it's natural that there's going to be an imbalance so teach teaching us that denying ungodliness denying the worldly lusts we should live soberly righteously and godly in the present age now that will come out as we get to know christ because that's what's important to him to please his father that was what he lived for that's what he died for that's why he'd come to this world was to please the father and he was god himself and so that is what he wanted to give to us and what was the big motivation that we should be living looking looking for the blessed hope that's not just a hope uh, my football team wins next week and when they don't we're disappointed that's not the hope that's not the blessed hope the hope is the promise of God, the hope that he's coming again. It's not a hope he does come, it's when he comes. It's a hope of certainty. That's why it's blessed. It's blessed because it's come from the mouth of God. He's coming again, so we should live our lives expecting it. And it's no argument to say, well, we've waited 2,000 years and he's still not come. Why should I expect him to come tomorrow? The reason you should think that way is because that's what God said. He will come. He's definitely coming. He's definitely coming at the end of the age. We just don't know how long the age is. And looking for the blessed hope, the, the promise of God, and appearing. The appearing of our great God and Saviour. He's coming to the air. We should be looking almost in a way that when we go to bed at night, we're asking ourselves, I wonder if he'll come tonight. Or if we get up in the morning, I wonder if he's coming today. Is that not how we should live our lives? Expect in an expectancy. That is a motivation in itself. If we live like that, well, why shouldn't we? And is that not something that we should rejoice together in? We rejoice that Vera is now with our, fa our Father in heaven. We rejoice with each other that despite the difficulties of life, whether it's difficulties with our age, our bodies, uh, our circumstances, the things that we're not maybe achieving or getting, that we've got things to look forward to. And the first thing is meeting our Saviour in person. It's like a, a selfishness as well. 
that we have to fight against. It's so easy to be selfish, to be looking purely at ourselves and to be focused just on what I get out of this life. This world is totally um, convinced that that's the way we should be. You find that employers everywhere and teachers everywhere are saying, you, you know, you've got to believe in yourself. You've got to motivate yourself to be able to strive to get, to achieve. And what is it they're wanting to achieve, whether it be position or money or fame? It's all about yourself. That's a selfishness. What does God say is, don't do that. Don't think of yourself as anything. But in everything, do it through Christ Jesus. He emptied himself. That's what we follow him. We need to empty ourselves. Not, I mean, by that I'm not saying you sit back and do nothing. It means that you are motivated and that you are geared to following him and in through his word and his teaching, through the, um, the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ either directly or through the teaching of the disciples and the apostles, which are all come from God that's been inspired by scripture, that that is something that would motivate us to do the best we can as the Lord Jesus Christ did. You often think about what kind of carpenter the Lord Jesus was. I don't think for a minute he was setting out to be um, the best businessman in Nazareth and the most profitable businessman in, in Nazareth. He surely was probably the best carpenter in Nazareth. He would have been. But he was motivated by doing it for others. Not self-adulation, not increasing his wealth, not um, aiming to be better than others, but to be putting that aside and to doing it for the Father in heaven. He gave himself, with this I just close on chapter four, uh, verse 14, that the Lord Jesus Christ, it says that he who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us, that he might purify us, in order that we might become an eager people. So here again, we're being challenged that through our salvation, be through our purifying, through what God has achieved through Jesus Christ for us, that the end result is that we are an eager people. And my challenge to myself first is, am I? Am I an eager person for Christ? Are you? Are we motivated in the things that God has done for us through Jesus Christ? Are we able to put aside <coughs> satanic things? And I call it Satan because everything of the world, he is the prince of this world. And it's, it's a lot of it is evil. There's lots of things in this world, of course, we can enjoy, but we enjoy them in Christ. There's lots of things that are evil. And they are designed to get us away from the things of God. And so therefore, is that taking over? And is that affecting my motivation in the things that I do for the Lord? So I'll leave that there uh, with um, 
the verse in Proverbs 3 and 6, which is, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And another scripture that has been mentioned many times, and I think we just keep mentioning it because it is so pertinent in what we're talking about, is Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you were raised with Christ, seek these things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this earth. That sums up. <laughs> the words of God sums up in two verses, which I've taken half an hour to try and say. Shall we pray? <clears throat>